Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus. Built with the zero landfill promise, all waste is recycled or reused with more at prestigesubaru.com. And Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You'll be at the top of the city as you experience Asheville's history and scenic beauty, historic landmarks, and award-winning rooftop bars. Transportation is provided with tours offered daily, year-round. Find out more at AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC. And now you can visit the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net and sign up for the Travel Club. There's going to be a lot of new information coming out in the days and weeks and, and even months ahead. So get on top of the game and find out some of the latest travel news and travel tips and what's going to be happening out there in the, in the near future. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, on the iHeartRadio app, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much any podcast platform. You can now listen to Speaking of Travel anywhere, anytime in the whole wide world. Well, speaking of the whole wide world, we are really ready to go out and see the world again. And what better place to jump off when restrictions are are lowered and things are starting to change than right at your your airport. That is the hub. And here at the Asheville Regional Airport, there is a lot going on right now. And with me today is Tina Kinsey. Tina is a Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development at the Asheville Regional Airport. And Tina, I'm so glad to have you on the show again today because there's a lot of changes. It seems like you blink your eye in the in the span of a, of a week, things have changed. <laughs> Well, I, I think we've all learned how quickly things can can change. Um, and in the travel industry, we're certainly adapting and we're taking advantage of um, the ability to do projects while there are not a lot of travelers. So we're even more ready when travel returns and we know it will. We're already seeing some upticks in passenger utilization. Um, so we know that... Uh, that the passengers will return um, sometime soon. Well, there's a lot, it sounds like, going on that's new uh, over there. And I know that the Asheville Regional Airport is committed to following best practices to protect all of the travelers of Western North Carolina. So give us a little bit about what you currently have in place. Sure. So um, 
immediately when when the whole world changed, we jumped into action to learn from the Centers for Disease Control and our local Department of Health and Human Services to determine what could we do at the airport to make sure the environment was as safe as possible for our, you know, all the people who work at the airport and our guests. Um, so right away, we beefed up our cleaning regimens. Um, we instituted some enhanced cleaning processes for high touch areas. Um, we created some physical distancing barriers uh, so that people could be a little further apart from one another, um, provided face coverings for all of our employees um, so that they had the option to utilize those as well per CDC guidelines. Um, and, you know, those kinds of things. We've also implemented some alternate work processes. So some some people who can are working remotely. So we've removed a number of people from the premises um, to really uphold the community effort um, in fighting this pandemic. So, you know, started there and we're, we're moving forward with phase two, um, really examining what can we do on a per more permanent basis at the airport for the foreseeable future to give our employees and guests the comfort they need to know that, it, that the airport is a safe environment. So, you know, we're examining additional cleaning processes that we can implement. Um, we're implementing some some signage, some helpful tools for our guests so that they know they are keeping appropriate distances. Um, we are looking at putting um, acrylic guards up at all of our public counters, things like that. Um, and we anticipate that we'll have a, an announcement of the specifics um, when everything is in place in the, in the next couple of weeks. Well, Tina, I, I just want to give a big shout out to to you and your team and everybody at the Asheville Regional Airport for uh, t for being uh, caring partners with the community, with people who live here, who are flying in and out of the Asheville Regional Airport, and our guests who are coming here into Western North Carolina. Let me ask you, you've given us so many wonderful uh, uh points on what you can do there at the airport what can we do what can we do what's our part to help you sure out? absolutely so um you know again it's it's a community effort and um we will be encouraging anyone who is traveling who comes to the airport or doing business at the airport to wear a face covering that is recommended by the CDC. So we are also encouraging that practice. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that most airlines are now requiring this action. So uh, travelers do need to be prepared for that. Check with their airlines to see exactly what those requirements will be when they are traveling. Um, we are, uh, 
looking at limiting who can come into the airport terminal. So, you know, if you are just dropping a passenger off or picking a passenger up, there's no need to come into the building unless you need to assist a disabled person, an elderly traveler or an unaccompanied minor. So, you know, we will encourage people to stay in their cars. Um, you know, that that certainly would be a helpful thing to do. Um, you know, and just educate yourself about um, how to maneuver in public spaces as we begin to slowly reopen. Um, you know, we're we are committed to that community effort, um, and we we really do think that travelers and guests will will behave in that manner as well. I think that uh, if for the people who really want to be able to travel and uh, go visit or uh, whatever, whatever their reason as a commercial traveler, it's important to know what we can do um, on our part. And one thing, Tina, that you've you've always said, even before this situation about uh, arriving in plenty of time at the airport, I would imagine that now it might make sense to even arrive a little bit earlier. That's right. And, you know, especially as travel starts to pick back up again, um, you know, the the lines will be a little more spread out. Um, you definitely want to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row and you, you know what to expect with your airline. So always give yourself that extra time so everything goes as smoothly as possible. Absolutely. And, and of course, remembering to wash your hands often during your journey <clears throat> yes. me, to use soap and water and scrub, you know, really. And, you know, that bring, I'm glad you bring that up because the CDC recommends hand washing above the use of hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer is more of a stopgap. So it is a new habit um, to remember that that uh, frequent hand washing you know, just really in, incorporate that into your daily life. Absolutely. And find a song that just really resonates with you that you can sing two or three times while you're washing your hands. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to be able to to remember how long to wash and really make that uh, uh, a habit. There are going to be so, a lot of new habits, you know, just really being able to think about safety and sanitizing and, um, being safe and you and your team over there at the Asheville Regional Airport are really uh, it's comforting Tina to know that you're so focused on ensuring that we all have the most you know positive and safe and uh, clean experience that we can how can we get more information not only about what you're doing but uh when we're making our travel plans to stay more informed? Sure. So our website, we have some great resources there, flyavl.com. We have a COVID-19 page that we keep updated every day with um, helpful links. And then also always be directly in touch with your airline on their websites to learn their most up-to-date information. And we have links to all of the airlines that serve Asheville Regional Airport right on our website, flyavl.com. Well, thank you so much, Tina, for being on the show again today and giving us an update. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Like we said in the beginning, things are changing so fast and 
having the Fly AVL website as a resource, one-stop shopping, you can find out everything that's going on, keep up, and start really dreaming about where you're going to go, because I know you'll be ready. Oh, yes, absolutely. We can't wait to welcome everyone back. Well, we can't wait to... We can't wait to get there. Well, thank you, Tina. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about gardens. This is a time to really be outside and smell the flowers. So let's find out from an expert. We'll be right back. Spring has finally sprung, and with our backyard in full bloom, now is the time to get out and find adventure wherever it may lead. From the mountains to the rivers and all the turf in between, we are no less than blessed with our beautiful backyard right here in western North Carolina. There's a will, there's a way, and for the way we have the wheels to take you wherever you wish to wander. Adventure is waiting, and the choice is yours. Find your adventure vehicle at PrestigeSubaru.com. Prestige Subaru, 585 Tunnel Road in Nashville. And welcome to Subiville. Hi, I'm Kay, the founder and owner of Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You usually hear me talking about our tours from the rooftops in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Currently, our country and the world are going through an unprecedented time with the COVID-19 pandemic and the fear and economic uncertainty that it is creating in our world. We in Asheville, a city that has been welcoming tourists to the healing properties of our Blue Ridge Mountains since the 1800s, are feeling it as well. Many things have been put on hold, but together we will get through this. Our times to explore the world or even our local hometowns and reconnect with friends and loved ones is in our future. Be strong, stay safe, and when you are in Asheville, look us up. We would love to show you the city from a bird's eye view. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. Thanks, Tina, for the in update. Words, Hopefully it won't be long before we can get back on a plane and fly someplace new and different. Well, in the meantime, I've been walking. Sometimes I walk for miles. And wherever I go, I see new things I just never even saw before, even if I'd been there before especially the flowers. Everything is in full bloom here in Western North Carolina, and just walking around the neighborhoods is like land snorkeling. The scents are amazing. You know, with research showing that people who spend more time in nature have better health and mood outcomes on the average, it seems pretty clear that if we go outside and smell the flowers, maybe stroll through a garden, we're doing ourselves a huge favor. And my guest today, talking to us from New Jersey, is Ken Trues, a celebrated lecturer and an award-winning author and photographer who has been called the guru of natural gardening by the New York Times. And Ken, I have to tell you, I am, I am really excited to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Marilyn. It's my pleasure. Well, thanks. Well, I'm. What you said. (laughs) I know. I'm really so excited because 
I have been going out and smelling these amazing flowers. And what what that has done to my happiness level is just amazing. And you're kind of like the expert here. So give me a little bit of an idea of, of why why the New York Times called you the guru of natural gardening. Uh, well, I, many years ago, I wrote a book called The Natural Garden, and then I wrote a book called The Natural Shade Garden, and then I wrote a book called The Natural Habitat Garden. So I was, uh, I was writing books that had nat- the word natural in it, and the style of gardening was naturalistic. So rather than a formal garden, uh, with clipped topiaries, these were gardens that looked as if they were made by nature or used plants that, as much as possible, native plants, but plants that might almost take care of themselves once they're established, a kind of relaxed, informal style. So that's how I got that name. But now that's that's about 10 books ago. <laughs> so I've been writing about all different things. And uh, my most recent book is about fragrance, which we're talking about. Well, let's talk a little bit more about it. I wish I wish this show could be a scratch and sniff, and we could yeah. actually smell the flowers while we're talking. But I, well, I sorry, love I the just, fragrance. <laughs> when I started doing this new book, we, the hope was to have scratch and sniff, but it, it was too expensive. So we had to do beautiful pictures that look as if they smell. And I think we did that, we achieved that. uh, Because some of the photographs in the book are photographs of gardens and photographs of plants in gardens. But some of the photographs in the book uh, were made on a flatbed scanner. And that's something people can do at home. So you, you just put some flowers on a flatbed scanner and you leave the top open and you scan them. What a really great idea. And there's there's so many ways if you get outside and go into gardens that you can find them and bring them right home and have a do-it-yourself project. But, you know, we talk, you were talking about how it feels to be outdoors and how it feels to be in nature. And at this time, at this trying time, people who have access to an outdoor area, to a backyard, we are so lucky indeed If you can imagine being in a New York City apartment for months, can you imagine just being locked up with your kids in a two-room apartment? But many of us can go outside, and for more than just a walk, like you're walking or a bike ride, we can garden. And a garden can be a soothing escape. Some of us are growing food, but always, and especially now, we can make beautiful aesthetic plantings that can feed our souls. Everyone's thinking about growing food, and sometimes you think, I'm going to grow food for the family, and then you discover that no one's going to eat okra, (laughs) but everybody loves to see beautiful plants. And visiting a garden is, is like what you said, but the act of gardening itself, even weeding, it's like kind of a Zen meditation therapy. You can be weeding a garden patch. And the process and process the events of the day, go through the news in your head, think about friends, make mental lists, and uh, deal with the latest developments in COVID nineteen, for example. Well, where would you suggest that somebody would go to get some resources on how to even uh, start digging? It sounds easy, but is it? 
I, I think it is. If you've got a, a space, I mean, a lot of people have backyards and they may just have lawn, but you can think about where you might make the garden and what the plants might be that you can get. A lot of the, a lot of the garden centers and nurseries are open now. Uh, maybe the indoor areas aren't, but the outdoor areas are, and you can actually still buy plants. That's allowed. Uh, so, of course, online there's so many sources, and this new book of mine is the 20th book. So uh, you can look at my books, <laughs> for example, and visit my website, which is kendrews.com. And why don't you spell Drews so everybody knows it sounds like Cruz, but how do you actually spell it? D-R-U-S-E. So, Ken, how did you even begin all those years ago to, uh, I, I mean, you've written like 20 books in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go back 30 years. What, <laughs> what was going on then? Were you just like, oh, I'm a photographer. I'm going to start taking pictures of flowers. How did you even get going? Oh, that, that's a long story. I'll try to make it fit in our allotted time. Um, I was a, I went to art school. I was a filmmaker and I was an illustrator and I used to draw plants for magazines when there used to be magazines. I would illustrate gardening articles because I always loved plants all my life, really, starting playing in the dirt. Uh, but I realized that it took me about a week to do a drawing and I'd get paid for it. I could go to a garden and take photographs and make a lot more money, and it was kind of easier. So I, I sort of graduated into photography in that backdoor way, and then shortly thereafter, I became the garden editor of House Beautiful magazine many years ago. And then I did my first book because, and actually these illustrated books are kind of like movies in a way, but uh, I I found that I could say what I wanted to say and have a lot more input and control if I was writing and photographing myself. So that's how I got into it. My first book was actually with drawings. And then the next ones were photographs. And then the Smithsonian Institute said, wow, Ken has (laughs) really a lot of photos. Maybe we should start a collection. Well, that happened, I think, because of digital. I, I was, of course, photographing on film and at a certain point I started going digital and I thought I what am I going to do with almost a hundred thousand photographs of gardens and I'm not getting any younger but I've been shooting digital for about five years more than five years and I thought I'm going to ask the Smithsonian if they would be interested in getting taking my garden library of film photographs, slides, and other transparencies. And they said no. (laughs) And then when they realized what I was talking about, uh, and they looked at some of my work, they said yes. So I was able to donate about 60,000 photographs to the Smithsonian. They were really excited. And they made the Kendrews Collection of Garden Photography. And they've scanned them all and had interns identify certain things and they only they wanted american gardens and and american garden plants and that's what they acquired and people can go online and see some of them and they they lend them for certain purposes to people to use the photographs 
That is really spectacular. What a wonderful gift uh, you've been able to give, and what a wonderful gift now they can share with all of us. So, Ken, excuse me, tell us again how we can get more information about you and your website. Well, you can go to kendrews.com, and that has all of my books, and it has my biography and pictures of my garden in New Jersey. So that's a way to find out a lot about me and see a lot, too. Well, when we come back, let's let's talk about your new book. I want to I want to talk more about that and really explore uh, the world of botanical fragrance. I'm here with Ken Drews. We'll be right back. This is Melody from GlobalMedTravel.com, and I'd like to invite you to travel with me on a virtual tour of two UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Pull up Google Earth in your browser and type in UNESCO, that's U-N-E-S-C-O. Number 23 and 24 on the map are jaw-dropping structural masterpieces as a result of strict conditions imposed by the Roman Emperor in the mid-1600s, three Protestant churches were permitted to be constructed in this region of Poland but were required to be built only of wood and clay. To meet this and other specifications, the builders of the Churches of Peace had to rely on what UNESCO calls pioneering constructional and architectural solutions of a scale and complexity unknown before or since in wooden architecture. The Google Earth tour of these two sites will have you walking right up to the colorful wooden sculptures and looking up through the mind-bending multi-tier galleries up to the decorated ceilings of these timber-framed masterpieces. Another thing to know about Poland, the country is currently investing heavily in its hospitals, which have become a hotspot for medical tourism in Europe. I hope you'll enjoy your virtual tour of these two incredible Polish churches on Google Earth's UNESCO World Heritage Map. This is Melody from GlobalMedTravel.com, and I'm wishing you all the best for your travels near and far. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. I'm here today with Ken Drews. We're talking about gardens. We're talking about fragrance. We're talking about botanicals. Ken, you have for such a long time been uh, just a part of nature. You've taken all these wonderful pictures and written these amazing books. And I know that you've actually hosted your own radio program. Is that right? Well, I did a podcast for 10 years, mostly interviews, and those are all archived on my website. And now I'm doing a a radio show with Margaret Roach, who's a terrific journalist and media mogul. And every, every month I'm her guest on her show. It's a radio show that then becomes a podcast. And I know you know what I mean. <laughs> I absolutely do. And I know that it's awaytogarden.com. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Yeah, I've listened to that, and it's really wonderful. And, you know, what you were saying earlier about everybody, you know, if you live someplace and you've got a little patch of land or a little yard, uh, that it's really kind of 
to your benefit to start some kind of a garden. And it doesn't necessarily, like you said, have to be a vegetable garden. Growing flowers is uh, very satisfying, like you said. Well, people are, are kind of frightened of it. And I always say just get started. And there's there's no right way in a way. And if you make mistakes, you learn from them. I still Listen, I, I've never killed a plant without learning something. That's right. <laughs> I've lost a lot of plants. It's part of it. But uh, just get in there and do it. Well, what do you? What would you talk about, um, like, indigenous plants, like specific to people where people live? I know for us here in the Great Smoky Mountains, there are a lot of really beautiful plants that sometimes we can just go out and dig up. Is that something that, that you would recommend? Mm-mm, no, no. And I, okay. you do it in, in the um, in the mountains and the areas that are part of the. I guess it's a national park. Um, you can get arrested. Well, that wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> I think you can't even take a pebble from these places. You have to leave everything, and that that's really important. And you want to leave it for the for everyone else to see and for the animals that might depend on the plant. So, uh, but there's ways to acquire plants. Also, you know, we can take pictures with our phones now, especially. So you can steal a picture of a plant. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. And yeah, when I go on my walks in the morning, I try to uh, take pictures of the beautiful blooming flowers that I see along the side of the road. We have right now rhododendron are in full bloom. And just this morning, I was taking some pictures of the rhododendron. They're so beautiful. Well, at this time of year, we've got lilacs and lily of the valley and viburnum and even tulips smell, some of them, and daphne. It's a wonderful time of the year for fragrance and to sample everything once you check that there's no bee in the flower. But good smells don't have to stop there. And in my most recent book, I have things that are fragrant throughout the growing season and things that now that you have pictures of them, you might take a picture of a wildflower like a trillium. And then you want to track down where you can acquire it. And you might find that there's a, a native plant society in your area. and They usually have an annual sale. That's a, a great way to get plants that are propagated and not stolen from the wild. And you can make your own wild garden. I have a, an area in my garden, a woodland garden, that has a lot of the same plants that are in the mountains where you are. Uh, and... I have plants that are in this area that are local. So they're not just native or indigenous. They're plants that are local to a 10-mile radius of this garden. So that was kind of a cool thing to do and to help preserve these plants because here, as almost everywhere, you know, you see a wonderful woodland and then you see a car dealership Mm. or the new Walmart with a giant parking lot. And these places are gone. I totally get it. That's a beautiful idea. And I know that it also is very helpful for the bird migrations. A lot of Absolutely. times they lose their habitat, and it's it's something we could actually do in our yards, right? I saw uh, an oriole yesterday, and it was going to the center of flowers. And I, I didn't really get it. And then I looked, you know, looked it up. And orioles are, I guess it's nectar vivorous. <laughs> they... They eat nectar. They sip nectar. You only think of hummingbirds sipping nectar, but Baltimore Orioles and other Orioles also sip nectar from flowers. 
So that's uh, that was an amazing thing to discover. That is like every day is a school day, even for you, Ken. <laughs> oh my god, I'll say <laughs> you're always learning things. Well, let's always. talk. Let's talk a little bit too about um, just the the process for you to. I know in, in over the course of these uh, years, you've traveled quite a bit and. Uh, you you have such a wide range of uh, knowledge of beautiful gardens all over the world. Let's talk just a little about that. Well, you, you're in a wonderful place with a wonderful garden, the Biltmore Estate. Uh, actually, I've been there a couple of times, and I've toured the house, and the house is okay, but the, the gardens and the land that uh, Frederick Law Olmsted developed all those years ago. And you know, there used to be a nursery at Biltmore with millions of plants. They had so many plants that it became an, a commercial nursery. I don't know if you knew that. I did actually know that. I've done my share of history with Biltmore <laughs> <laughs> and the plants are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The... Uh, well, it's, it's, it's great to go to public gardens and with your camera or your phone and see things you haven't seen before, especially in your own area, because then you can see what you can grow at home. Uh, and every time you travel to any place, just check online what might be a, a public garden in the area, a place that you can visit. I, I have visited so many gardens, mostly in the United States. There are public gardens everywhere in, in the United States. Unfortunately, we can find them pretty easily. They are the online resources are really valuable and and I also want to make sure people know that when they go to your website kendrews.com that's k e n d r u s e.com yeah there's a wealth of information and pictures there to uh to go down that rabbit hole literally yeah. <laughs> and be able to find well tell us a little bit um Ken, I want you to give us a, a little, some advice on the art and science of smelling a plant. Oh, well, I was thinking about that because something I've noticed with a lot of people, and especially if you watch TV and you see somebody get a, a dozen red roses, long stem roses, and they take a giant inhalation and they go, ah, and I think, well, that's acting because those roses don't smell anymore. Because the, the fragrance, which is a very delicate, fragile gene, has been bred out of long stem red roses. That's a whole nother story for another episode. But when you're sampling a fragrance in a plant, in a flower, take little sniffs, little short sniffs. Because if you do take a deep breath, it kind of anesthetizes your uh, olfactory bulb and you can't really smell it again so you want to take little sniffs like and then you get a really good sniff and if you're smelling a whole lot of plants and you start to lose your sense of smell you can reset it by smelling the inside of your elbow you just you because we're so used to our own smell that you just smell your inside of your elbow and you can reset your your fragrant receptors which is a pretty cool thing but we smell a plant and the nerve endings go right to the part of the brain. That's the same part of the brain that holds memories, which is why fragrance is so often connected to memory. You know, you might smell something and it takes you back to that 
birthday cake that was in the oven when you were a kid or something, you know, the, how it triggers memories. That is the most beautiful thing, and it and it couldn't be more timely right now. Just going out and smelling the flowers, knowing how to do it to make the most impact, and being able to remember, have these memories is just such a beautiful thing. Well, Ken, thank you so much for being on the show. And like you mentioned, there's enough here that we didn't even touch on to have you <laughs> on another show. So yeah, there's hundreds of plants in the new book in the sensual garden. And that's S C E N T U A L. And you can get it through my website or go to Amazon. Marilyn, it's been a thrill to talk to you. Well, thank you, Ken. All right, you guys, it's time to get more information about uh, gardening and planting. Check out Ken's website and, you know, go outside, think about what's in my yard and what can I plant here maybe to, uh, you know, attract the birds. It's endless what you can do outside. So get outside. When we come back, we'll be with our good pal, Doc Lawrence. He'll be taking us along storytelling and the gourmet highway we'll be right back green is good local food less oil renewable energy sustainable peace Tree hugger, say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals, don't eat them. Go solar, coexist. Don't buy a dog, rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville, Prestige Subaru. On the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we welcome folks from around the world and locally onto our tours. People love to travel and discover new places and new experiences, and we love being a part of that here in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Most of us right now are not traveling due to the COVID-19 pandemic sweeping across the globe. While travel and tourism make up the biggest part of our regional economy, providing thousands of jobs, and our community greatly feels that loss in tourism right now, we know that there will be time to travel safely in the near future. We wish everyone good health and safety during this time. Community is what brings us together. We at Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours look forward to welcoming you to our community and showing you the city from a bird's eye view. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. It's time to catch up with our fellow traveler, Doc Lawrence, as he embraces and celebrates what we have done and what we shall soon do again. Doc, we really miss you, my friend. So how about having some fun today? Marilyn, let's have some fun. I wrote this article for Freya Pruitt's Luxury Magazines, now headquartered in Los Angeles, and it's fantasy plus my participation. And it's called The Last Dinner on the Titanic. Just after the advent of spring, a few years ago, the world observed the 100th anniversary of an event that shook the world. During the hours of April 14 and 15 in 1912, the RMS Titanic sunk 
into the icy waters of the North Atlantic. On the evening of the 14th, passengers on board who were booked in first class dined in luxury, accompanied by the romantic music from a string orchestra, enjoying glasses of Dom Perignon, wines from Bordeaux, the Loire Valley, Burgundy and Rhone, all paired with an amazing nine-course dinner they were unaware that was going to be their last dinner. I walked through the touring Titanic artifact exhibition in Miami that covered an amazing 15,000 square feet. I could hardly add anything original to the stunning impact on me. Movies, books, folklore, and the accounts of survivors actually make a good composite of the tragedy that still captivates us like few other disasters. The artifacts brought from the floor of the Atlantic included china, wine bottles, dinnerware, and many other implements of fine dining and wine enjoyment. Each cup, spoon, saucer, crystal wine glass, and dish seemed to say that fine dining was not only a titanic hallmark, but it was the basis of a great and fascinating story. So here goes. The Ritz Restaurant, as it was called on board the Titanic, arguably was the finest restaurant in the world. It was for the exclusive use of first-class passengers only. The restaurant was in addition to the already sumptuous first-class dining saloon. The Ritz Restaurant was under the control of Titanic's corporate owner, White Star Line, who appointed Luigi Gatti as manager, who they hired from Odino's Restaurant, one of the finest at the time in London. The rest of the staff came from Italy, France, England, Switzerland, Belgium, Holland, Spain, and who knows where else. The rich and famous queued up for the very expensive privilege of dining at the Ritz. While meals were available from 8 a.m. until 11 p.m. daily, tables were always fully booked. It was the seated dinner at the Ritz restaurant that commands the most attention. A glance through the list of occupations of some of the dining and kitchen staff brings a world of opulence and luxury to mind. In addition to the well-trained waiters, there was a roast cook, assistant roast cooks, pastry cooks, fish cooks, a soup cook, an iceman, entree cook, and the very important sommelier, of course, the barman, glassman, carver, maitre d', plate man, and of course, a couple of page boys to take messages and do all the running about and all 68 men and women were employed to give nothing but the best in service at all times. Adding to the dining, cellar, and kitchen staff were the musicians. Edwardian dining often had the added luxury of a string orchestra, and the evening of April 14, 1912, on the Titanic, was no exception. The Ritz Titanic experience on that fateful evening can be replicated, and many restaurants throughout the world were doing this, and I attended three of them. The menu items which I have been privileged to enjoy at different restaurants were by necessity modified. They included an appetizer of oysters de la Russe, followed by barley soup, poached salmon, which is then and now is always a favorite of the rich and famous, and was served on the Titanic with a strawberry sauce mousseline. There's much to be said about the wines, Maryland. The Titanic carried in its vast cellars fine champagne, primarily Dom Perignon, noble Bordeaux, whites and reds from Burgundy, wines from Alsace, the Loire and Rhone Valley, 
Germany, and Spain, plus the wonderful dessert wines from Sauterne. I'm always content to have champagne with my oysters, and the diners that night were no doubt served refreshing Cru Chablis from Burgundy for their delicious salmon. The meat entree was filet mignon served with bourre truffe. It was paired with magnificent Morgot, a Bordeaux legend. Dessert consisted of Waldorf pudding with French vanilla ice cream. Coffee was quite appropriate, but I chose instead a glass of Madeira served cold. The acidity in the fortified wine just fit superbly with the dessert. Over 6,000 meals were served each day during the Titanic's voyage. Tons of food were in storage, and it had one of the world's largest and best-stocked wine cellars. The Titanic took most of the kitchen staff and waiters into the icy waters of the Atlantic that fateful evening. The maitre d' survived, recreating the experience as tasty, cheerful, and respectful. Each sip of wine and bite of Escoffier-inspired fare magically recalls the events of long ago when dining was truly elegant. I couldn't help but think if it would be possible to have something like this, well, maybe in the future. As my last dinner, no time soon, of course, each course I have revealed is from the actual menu. The wines were in the ship's heralded cellar, perhaps the best on earth at that time. There's a fine line, Maryland, that separates elegance and disaster. Each day has moments with danger that is balanced with the joys of life and living. Diners on the Titanic that fateful evening were caught in a tragic circumstance. They, of course, were innocent and unaware. Remembering that last evening is a way of honoring the better aspects of living with style and celebration. So I intend to do this on our future segments of the Gourmet Highway, celebrating what we have done and what we soon shall do again. So for now, Marilyn, this is Doc Lawrence on the Gourmet Highway in pause for a little while, saying I'll see you soon at some legendary restaurant in the past or in the future. Doc, thank you so much for sharing that wonderful, incredible story with us. We love you and want you to stay well, and we'll talk to you again soon. Remember, you can still follow Doc's journey on the Gourmet Highway by visiting thegourmethighway.com. Will you go out and have a great week? My thanks to Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport, Ken Drews, the guru of natural gardening, and our own Doc Lawrence. Friends, never, ever let go of your sense of wonderlust and curiosity. This is the perfect time to learn about other countries and other cultures, even if you're exploring from your own backyard. Today, we're a part of something that is keeping us from all being together physically, but virtually we are all together right now. So let's experience the world through this virtual world that we're now living in. There are so many virtual tours you can take. There are webcams and live streams. Do a little research, go to Google and put in some dream bucket list destinations and say this is where I'm going to dream to go and then go visit it even if it's just 
on your computer. It'll get you in the mood. It'll make you dream. Grab a good book. I've been pulling out all my travel guide books from Morocco and Paris and Ireland and England and just trying to remember what it was like when I was traveling there and dreaming of when I'm going to be there again. The other thing that's really a lot of fun to do is to go online, get some really great exotic recipes, and then try to make them in your own kitchen. It's really so much fun to do. And sometimes they're failures. Sometimes they come out like, oh my goodness, I've just made this incredible Greek salad. And it is taking me back to when I was lying out on the Mediterranean. Or someday I'm going to eat a Greek salad that's going to be made by somebody in their own kitchen in Greece and be dreaming about that. You know, why not take an online language course right now and really get down to the language of the country you want to travel in? I'm doing that right now. I'm brushing up on my Italian. I'm trying to learn a little bit of French because I'm dreaming that before long I'm going to I'm going to be in Italy. I'm going to be in France. The bottom line is we need to all seek ways to stay connected to our communities around the world. Make new friends, but keep the old. Remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy.